morning, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now, we just wave to them. They'll put a Bible in your hand marked right to our passage we're studying today. And please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Two verses this morning, excuse me a moment. We'll pick up in verse 31. Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for this Bible. Thank you for all that it contains. And thank you for the privilege of being able to read it, to study it. Thank you for what it is meant to each and every one of us. Thank you that we don't wake up every day uh, trying to uh, face it, developing our own philosophy of life, our own definitions of right and wrong, but to have all of these things given to us freely from our Creator in, in the form of this Bible. And Jesus, you said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and we have discovered it to be true, how we need uh, your word to be spoken into our lives and, and what it does in our lives that nothing else even remotely approaches, nothing compares at all. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would meet with us in your word today and uh, that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In coming to uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, we're coming to uh, here to what is probably, and I think an argument could be made for what might be the most majestic words that the Apostle Paul uh, ever penned. And that's saying a lot when you say it concerning uh, the Apostle uh, Paul. When, I, when you read through Romans chapter 8, you, and just when you think this chapter can't get any better than it's already been, uh, then it, it rises and becomes even, even better still. And this morning in these two verses, we examine a truth about God that if we actually believe it, and if we actually internalize it and make it a part of our thinking and our doing, it can revolutionize any Christian life and uh, revolutionize uh, every relationship with God. You notice that Paul, when he begins this section, he begins it with a question in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? And that raises the question, what is he referring to when he's talking about uh, these things? Some people believe that Paul is referencing all of the things that he's already written in the book of Romans all the way up uh, to verse 31. Others believe that his focus is a little bit more narrow and he's uh, simply uh, focusing on verses 28 through 30 where Paul declares that God works all things together for good in our lives as Christians and that uh, then describes our salvation as Christians to be so sure that God already sees us glorified and in heaven. I certainly wouldn't argue uh, with either of those views in terms of what Paul is, is talking about. I, I'd, uh, I, I would probably meet each of them halfway and contend that uh, I think it isn't unlikely that Paul is just simply talking about all that he's written in chapter 8 and how it is that he's explained to us in verse 1 that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that this law of the Spirit is at work in our lives, verse 2, that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus up from the dead now works in our lives to raise us up out of our formerly dead condition and to raise us up out of a life dominated by sin and dominated by self and the flesh. And then uh, he tells us that we're not only saved and forgiven of our sins, but we've been adopted into God's family. Now for the first time in our life, we'll be able to have a relationship with God in which we call Him 
Abba, and we call Him Father. And when we use those words in the relationship for the first time in our lives, those words feel right. And then where He, in verse 18, uh, where we are promised that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that in a world that is filled with suffering and filled with fallenness, when we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, Paul told us that the Holy Spirit then makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And then in verse 28, how it is that God works all things together for good in our lives as Christians, and then again that our salvation is so secure in Jesus that God already sees us as Christians uh, uh, safely and wonderfully enjoying the glory of heaven. And as Paul describes these things, one line after another in Romans chapter 8, uh, and, and having done so, now as we come to verse 31, uh, Paul essentially stops, and he doesn't want us to move on from the glory of all of these truths, all of these realities, with, without now taking some time to think about them, uh, to savor them. And to stop and to consider the implication of all of these things upon our lives. And so to slow us down, uh, lest we fall prey to the curse of familiarity, he poses the question to every reader of the book of Romans, both in the first century and all the way into this room uh, today. And he poses the question to us, what then shall we say to these things. In other words, he's telling us that these things, every single one of them and all of them together, they warrant a response from us. And so we ask ourselves in the privacy of our own heart, as Paul poses the question, what shall we say to these things in the light of just the things that I've read? What would you say in response to just those things? And I think I would say hallelujah. I would say praise the Lord for all those things. If, but one of them was true of my life and, and ours in Christ, it would be enough to say hallelujah and to say praise the Lord. And to say hallelujah and praise the Lord is a good start. But you notice that Paul, he doesn't merely ask the uh, the question, but then by the Holy Spirit, He provides us with the answer uh, to that uh, question. And the answer is, if God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, it's important to understand that when Paul writes, if God be for us, He's not using the word if in any, with any intention of casting doubt upon the fact that God is for us as Christians. The word if there as he uses it is, is intended to communicate the idea of sense. It is not wondering whether God is for us, but since God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, let's say it's football season and you're at home and somebody within the household declares to everyone else in the room at halftime that they're going to the store and they're going to pick some things up and while I'm there, is there anything anybody else wants? And uh, you or someone else might pipe up and say, well, if you're going to the store, why don't you pick up uh, a pizza and some Pepsi for me uh, or some kale and uh, beet juice, depending on what kind of, of a household you come from. Here, we're, we're, listen, we're here to please everybody, uh, though I don't know how many uh, kale people watch football, but that's uh, the stereotypes. I'm already in trouble, right? So it's, uh, wrong. I repent. I repent before you. That was wrong to say. But, but you say to them, well, listen, if you're going, then pick these things up for me as well. And when we use the word if there, it's not in question. They've already told us that they are going. Uh, it, the idea is since you uh, are, are going. There's no uncertainty about the fact that God is for us. Since God is for us is the idea. Now, let's stop for a moment 
and consider this great truth that Paul is communicating to us, that God is for us as Christians. Uh, This is more than that He is with us. That is a wonderful truth. I'm not asking us to choose between these two. They're both true. But He is with us. But being for us is something entirely beyond being with us. He can be with us and not for us. So here Paul declares the fact that God is uh, for us. And as we stop to consider it, I mean, it's just simply mind-boggling to realize that it's not merely words on a page, but it is something that the Holy Spirit uh, wants each and every one of us to understand and, and to to realize, to realize that He is 100% for each of us this morning, that He wants us to succeed in the Christian life and to succeed in life in general like nobody else who is involved in our lives. No one is rooting for us in life, in whatever we're facing, uh, the way that God does, and to realize that this is His attitude toward each of us, and and that He is on our side. And when you stop and allow those to be more than just words on a page, but to understand and to be the truth about God toward me and toward you as Christians, I mean, what an encouragement that is. Since God is, is for us, and to realize that God is for us, it supplies us with a confidence in life that we would never otherwise know. Uh, when I think about this and the influence of this kind of an encouragement, of having just one single person in our life, not even God, just a single person within our life who is for us and in a, in a great way that we never have to wonder, are they for me or not? But to realize that through all of the ups and downs and the highs and lows and the thick and thin of life, that this person is always for me and how rich that makes us and what an encouragement it is to us in, in life, a confidence that it gives us in life. I'm not facing life alone. I'm facing it with the support and the backing of this person. I remember years ago, the uh, reading an interview that was uh, 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 done by the columnist Bob Green uh, concerning the great basketball legend Michael Jordan. And uh, at the time, it, Michael Jordan was still playing at that, at that particular uh, point in time, and you would, it would have been hard to believe that any athlete in the entire world was more uh, famous than Michael Jordan, had more fans than than Michael uh, Jordan. Earlier in in Jordan's career, he had spoken about his need as a human being, his need as a basketball player for emotional support in in that role in in life. And uh, Green, in in the interview that he had of Michael Jordan, he pursued that uh, comment by Jordan asking him why he wanted his father to be in the stands during a game. And Jordan replied, when he's there, I know that I have at least one fan. And it speaks to the, the, how powerful an encouragement that possessing even one person in our life that we can look at and say, that person is truly for me. And to have that kind of person within our life uh, and to recognize it, we realize what an encouragement and, and a strength that it is. And here we are told that God Himself is such a person in the life of every single Christian, including you and me here this morning. Now, let me ask you this morning, in the, in the privacy of your own heart, do you really believe this about God concerning you? Do you believe that He is for you? And and I am convinced that the overwhelming majority of Christians, and I begin with myself, 
that uh, we live far, far below this truth that is found in Romans chapter 8. And it's so important that we recognize that God is for us. And again, as we've seen in recent week, from Romans chapter 8, verse 18, all the way through 39 to finish the, the chapter, the context is writing about the suffering and the difficulty uh, of this world and, and how it is that as we face the trials and the hardships of life as Christian and the, all of the fallenness of, of life that everybody else does, and yet trials and difficulties beyond what anybody else faces. And because we face so much that we uniquely face in life, in order to navigate all of it, Paul knows and God knows that it's vital that we understand that the God who is greater than all of those things is really, really for us in life. And not to believe it to be true of Christians in general, it's easy to sit here today and say, I believe that uh, God is for us is true of the body of Christ. I believe that it is true of every Christian I know, every Christian in the world. But then when we bring it close to home, where we look and say, really, truly, in a way that I see affects my life, my outlook on life, uh, do I really believe that it is also true of me, that God is uh, for me. There are hindrances, I think, in, in life and, and uh, personality against uh, believing this. I think there's a certain kind of person that reads the fact that God is for them. They claim the verse for their own, and uh, they never waver in their confidence related to that all of their Christian life. After all, why wouldn't God be for them? And uh, such is their self-esteem and their confidence and all. But I, I think the average person kind of has to deal with it from a little different angle. There are hindrances to life in life related to accepting this as true uh, for us, not just intellectually, but, but into, our, uh, in, into our thinking and into our, our doing, into our believing. I think this great truth is especially hard for Christians who are prone to legalism and, uh, and, and perfectionism, and that I, uh, uh, where we're convinced that God can only be for us if we're perfect. And, uh, and the, the moment we mess up on, on anything uh, or fail in any way that He ceases to be uh, before us, or that if we're prone to live our lives dominated by emotions or dominated by feeling, I believe that He is for me when I feel up. Uh, but when I go down into some kind of a melancholy or something uh, deeper or just the nitty-gritty of life, I cease to believe that He is for me. And it's all, uh, it, it, it all uh, the, the confidence related to this truth in our life is all tied to emotion. But the problem is, is emotions come and go uh, by uh, the minute. They come and go by, by the moment. And, and, and the importance where if I'm operating in that way with the emotion or feelings, this kind of thing, as opposed to just determining to submit my feelings to what God has revealed to us right here in, in this passage. God is for me no matter how I feel about myself or life or anything. There's no qualification that He's giving to us. I think one of the hindrances of really accepting this and believing this and appropriating it is if in our personal history we've never had a single person in our life that we've known to be fully and wonderfully for us. We have no reference point for it at, at, at all. Every human being has failed you in life and usually at the very worst time. Or uh, all of our lives before becoming a Christian, it was always seemingly us against the world. Everything that we ever did, everything that we got, everything that we accomplished, it was all on our own. We never knew the support of other people in, in any of it. And, 
and uh, then come into our Christian life and, and can, can doubt that God has an interest in coming alongside of us in a way that others perhaps uh, didn't. But whatever hindrances any of us might have to accepting this truth about God's attitude toward us, whatever the hindrance might be, the, the importance of just stopping and, if necessary, to make this morning a reference point in this regard, and to determine in the power of the Holy Spirit and pray for a miracle of the Holy Spirit within our lives, which He will be happy to accomplish, and to say that I want to, as a part of my Christian life, the quality of Christian life that I want to experience, and I realize that I live far below, I, I, from this point forward, I will accept this fact that God is fully and personally for me as a Christian. And I don't think if, if we look again in the privacy of our own hearts and we realize, any of us, that we live a million miles away from this kind of confidence, that it doesn't mark our lives at all, or maybe never marked our Christian life, not even for a season of our Christian life, and to stop perhaps for the next 30 days and to determine that the, when I wake up each and every morning and the next 30 days, I want the, I'm going to make the first thought in my mind as I start the day, God is for me today. No matter what lies out ahead of me, no matter what I'm going to face, God is for me in the day that I'm heading out into it. And maybe even speak it out loud and then allow that 30 days to then become a lifetime practice until the point that every hurdle or every bump or every bit of fallenness or hardship that we face in our life, that one of the very first thoughts that comes to our mind and navigating it in the messiness of this world is to remember that God is for me in the middle of this situation. He is not merely with me, but He is also uh, for me. And then every time we face that bump in life or the obstacle or the, the trial in life, again, especially as it brings suffering into our life, fear into our life, to remind myself in this situation, I know that God is for me. And to do it related to our marriages, whatever condition they might be in to do it in our child uh, rearing, to do it in our singleness, to do it related to all that we face in our careers and in our occupations, in our ministries, in the personal relationships and conflict that can come in that, and to realize that God is for me in the middle of, of this situation, or health challenges, or whatever uh, it might be. might even be necessary to paste the verse all around the house or around uh, the apartment, or around uh, the room. And the quality of spiritual and mental and emotional and physical health that will result uh, as a result of believing this to be true and, and standing upon it, will, it'll be absolutely huge. Uh, some time ago, I was scrolling through uh, with a remote in my hand, a television in front of me, the television guide while I was watching the, the TV. And uh, I came across a description of a movie, you know, how you go through the channel and it flips up and it tells you what the show is. And so this movie flipped up and uh, I, I read the description of it and it intrigued me. And it was a comedy. I, I don't watch comedies. I, the last one I watched was It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. It's not my cup of tea, but um, if you love comedies, I, I, I'm great for you. I'm, I'm happy for it. I'm not putting it down at all. It's just not where I go in terms of, of downtime. And, uh, and so I'm looking at it, and here's this comedy that, that, that comes up starring a famous comedian. And the movie was about a man who uh, determined to say yes to everything for a year in an attempt to transform his life into something uh, more positive. And uh, even though I have zero interest in comedies, that in intrigued me because I thought to myself, if you said yes to every single thing in the course of a year, uh, the trouble that could get you into uh, would, 
would be limitless, really. Uh, so I started to watch the movie, and unfortunately, I had to turn it off almost immediately because of its content. But, but I, I wish Brian Reagan would, would take a clean uh, comedian take off on, on that whole concept. And, uh, but the potential of the concept uh, stayed in my mind and uh, continued to tumble around in, in my mind. And so a couple of weeks ago, not as a part of any kind of self-improvement uh, campaign in, in my own uh, life, but just for fun, uh, my wife Karen and I were in the kitchen, and I announced that I would now be responding to everything in life with the word awesome. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so that, I, I wanted her to have the heads up. Uh, when it happened. She thought I was kidding until the, the next five things that she said I responded to with awesome. And you can say awesome a lot of different ways. Awesome. 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 And so everything she was saying, I was saying awesome to and uh, progressively louder tones until uh, she demanded that I stop doing that <laughs> right now, to which I responded, Awesome. But then I, I, I know her lines, and so I, I stopped immediately. But, <laughs> but I, I have to admit that, that, uh, that saying awesome, just for that short period of time, it did something good in me. I mean, it, it really it, it felt, uh, it felt good. And, and then you think here is we've got it in front of us. Here we have a truth about our lives. I mean, that, it, that really is awesome. And it's a truth that's intended to transform our lives and will transform our lives if we just simply believe it and, and allow it to, to do that. But how in the world, and Paul anticipates the question, where we look and say, I'd like to believe that God is for me, but how in the world can we be sure that this is true about God toward us? How can I uh, be sure that this is true about God's attitude uh, toward me, that He really is for me? And, and how we can know uh, that God isn't just giving us in verse 31, you know, a, a Christian plaque fodder, or that Paul's just trying to say something to make us feel better, you know, in the, in the downs of life, and, uh, and, and this is what he came up with. And Paul doesn't want us thinking any of that, and he tells us that the reason we can be sure that it's true is because this truth that God is for us is deeply rooted in human history. It's deeply rooted in the first of the three greatest events in human history, those three events being the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This truth, Paul tells us, is deeply rooted in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. And I think it's important to notice those words, three words in particular in verse 32, uh, the three words, his own son. And to read it as I think Paul intended to, as, it, as he writes it, we don't have inflection in what he, he writes, what he's feeling. We don't know the emotion of it, but I don't think uh, we'd be too far off base uh, to to, to realize that, that Paul's probably emphasizing those three words among other things. Notice in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son. And the whole, the language that is used in the Greek here, it is a language that is, is used to describe back in Genesis 22, I believe, uh, the same Greek word for the, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, when God came to Abraham and asked him uh, to give his son, uh, his only son, whom he lovest. And, and here is this this tremendous emphasis upon the fact of God's being for us, demonstrated in the giving of His own, own Son. And here I think you've got Paul with a, a perfect and a sanctified logic 
And what he's doing is he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. In other words, if God has already given us the greatest gift He could ever give, the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive in order to provide us with the forgiveness of sins, to provide us with salvation, and to do so as an expression of His love for for us and for His foreness uh, in our lives. Then Paul says, won't he now continue to manifest his love and his foreness in freely giving us the comparative lesser things in life, everything else that we need for life and godliness? I think that one Bible teacher put it perfectly when he said this. He said, if someone thinks enough of you to give you a costly, brilliant, beautiful, flawless diamond. Do you think he will object when you ask him for the box that goes with it? Everything we would, that he would ever give us for the rest of our lives after having given us Christ is infinitely smaller. And if he loves us enough to give his son, if he is for us enough to give his son, then he loves us enough and is for us enough to give us every other thing that we would need. Of course, this then raises the question, what are these all things that God promises to us? And I think the all things certainly includes everything associated with our salvation. And it certainly includes everything that we will require of God in order to be sanctified and in order to live a a, a godly life and to grow in godly character. As Peter put it in his second epistle, as his divine power, God's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It certainly includes everything pertaining to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, that He will give us all things pertaining to the Spirit. As Jesus spoke uh, to the men that were around Him in Luke chapter 11, and He declared, if you, speaking to them as fathers, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And certainly this all things includes all that we need concerning the daily necessities of life. The need for food, for shelter, for clothing. As Jesus wrote in, declared in His Sermon on the Mount, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles, that is the unsaved seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But there's no reason to simply limit the all things uh, to Uh, those uh, realms to just being spiritual things uh, and and material necessities in life. When Paul uses the word like freely, he uses the words like all things, what he's encouraging us to do is to take this expectation that God is for us in this way and to take this expectation fully into the material realm as well as the spiritual realm. In in Psalm 84, verse 11, the psalmist wrote, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Again, Jesus, in His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, a verse I read earlier, but as he spoke it in the Sermon on the Mount, he broadened the application of it from the Holy Spirit to all things in general. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And I think it it, it almost goes without saying, but I'll say it, but that any mature Christian will understand 
that good has to be determined uh, supremely by God and uh, per His perspective, because only He knows what is, is good in our lives. And sometimes what would be good for you is not good for me. So it's not a blank check that I get to demand that, that He's going to uh, provide me with whatever I want, putting me in the driver's seat in a relationship with God, who in their right mind would want the, the driver's seat. But something, where, something that might be good for you as God would look at you based upon your personality, based upon your temperament, based upon God's call upon your life, and it's completely good for you, but it wouldn't be good for me with my personality or my temperament, if, it, if God gave that good thing, that thing that is good for you into my life, it might derail me and distract me from His call upon my life. And so He's the only one that's able to define what is, what is, is good and, and, and a blessing in, in each, one, uh, each one of our lives. And if He's already, but as Paul is saying here though, is if He's already given His Son then if He chooses to not deny us something lesser, then it can only mean that it, it wouldn't be good for us. It wouldn't be safe for us. And, and I don't say that it, to any way diminish the confidence that Paul expresses here, in, in here, where he, where he declares, and he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all uh, things. It is an immense promise that God gives here. And I think that John Stott put it perfectly in his commentary when he wrote, the cross is the guarantee of the continuing, unfailing generosity of God. And that is exactly what Paul is communicating here in verse 32. Now, allow me to close with a, an observation concerning uh, Paul's words, who can be against us? Again, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And when Paul writes, who can be against us? We have to be careful to realize that Paul is not saying that because God is for us, that no one will be against us or that no one is against us. The devil is against us on an unceasing level. Uh, the world, world system under the oversight of the devil works against us as Christians all day, every day. Our flesh works against us. Individual people within our lives persecute us and oppose us. So what Paul, Paul isn't saying that because God is for us, nothing will be against us, but rather because God is for us, nothing can successfully be against us. And the forces that are against us, they're formidable. I mean, they, they are evil, they're, they're, but they are in no comparison, no matter how strong they are, or if they all unite together against us, individually, if the entire demonic realm or the entire unbelieving world that hates Christians were to come together and unite together in their opposition against a single one of us, all of those resources that they could put together to try and come against a single one of us wouldn't even come close to comparing to how great God is and the greatness of His power. So when he says when God, that God is for us, he's talking about the God of the Bible, the God who is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And, and so here they are no comparison to God who is with us. And the ultimate question concerning anything in life is, is not where people are on this side of an issue or that side of an issue or this side of something or that side of something, but rather the great determining issue is whose side is God on? Because whatever side God is on, that's the side that is going to win because no one can hope to win a fight against God.
And as Christians, we are on God's side. The old saying is, one plus God makes a majority. Uh, and, and it's a very, very good saying. All that matters is what side is God on, and I'm going to join myself to that. The fact of the matter is God is a majority, whether we join Him or not. But that's the confidence that we, that we have and that Paul has related uh, to, the, to the Lord in what opposes us within life. There is, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one has the hope of being successful against us. No one, no thing in life. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me, and therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. And when he says, the Lord is for me among those who help me, he's saying, God is for me. When he says, therefore, I shall see my desire upon those who hate me, he is saying, and therefore, who can be against me? And this morning, for those of us who are Christians, this is the confidence that God wants every single one of us as Christians to have in life. There is so much that works against us in life. We have to deal with all of the fallenness, all of the difficulties, all of the trials that every other human being has to deal with in life, whether saved or unsaved. But on top of that, we face an opposition uh, that, is, uh, that nobody else in the world faces in the form of opposition by the devil and spiritual warfare and opposition against Christ and what He stands for and our stand for Him. And if we do not realize that in this battle that we are in, and it is a great battle, that, that God is for us in this battle, then we will lose a confidence and a boldness and a faith that God does not want a single one of us to lose or to live below even for a day or a moment in our lives. Since God is for us, who can be against us with, a, with any hope of success? This morning I want to, to close by having the worship team come up in just a moment and to have them lead us in a worship song while we're while we're seated, and to just stop for a moment before we close our service. And here I am, I've taught a Bible study on these two verses. I've read it, I've explained it, and I have applied it. And that's what I am called to do. But it is so important in a passage like this to have additional time to internalize it to not just know uh, the, the truth of it, to have it explained to me, and then to know how it might apply in my life. But to ask myself, and for you to ask yourself today and say, does this, in the privacy of my heart, does this mark my Christian life? Has it ever marked my Christian life? Do I understand God in this kind of a way, or have I viewed the fact that God is for us and believing that about every circumstance in life, every situation in life, that that is something that is like optional for us? In this age or in this country, we don't need that. And then what happens in life? Some great thing gets introduced into our life. And we realize, no, I must believe this. I must know this about God to be able to navigate again this with the confidence and the boldness and the faith that God desires me to and to enjoy the quality of life and the confidence in life and the encouragement in life that God wants me to have. And so to just stop this morning and think within your marriage, think within your singleness, Think about the challenges of raising children if that's where you are in life. Think about the fears that come with old age. 
Think about what happens in a, in a job. Think about what happens in some relationship in your life that is, is burning like a building to the ground. And you haven't yet taken the time to look at that situation personally with God and said, in the middle of this, God is for me. And because He is for me, who can be against me? And that's an important thing to turn within our hearts as Christians, to regain perspective concerning anything that we're facing in life here this morning, but then to have it become something that as we do that this morning, that it begins then to work its way until it characterizes our lives and it characterizes our understanding of how God views us and our understanding of how serious He takes His responsibility to us as our Heavenly Father. So if the worship team will come forward right now, I'd like them to lead us in a worship song and then just allow whatever needs to happen under the weight and the beauty, I mean, the, just the majesty of this passage that needs to happen within our lives. Again, I think... I think the overwhelming majority of us live so far below this promise. I know I do, and, and, but I don't want to stay there. I don't want to live there and to allow that, that change to occur within our lives uh, here today. And if that's something that we're, for the next minute or uh, few minutes, is, is we're led in worship, uh, you don't have to sing the words that are up on the screen if this is something where you're trying to work something out with God and sing the song at the same time, forget about the words. We'll sing for you and around you. You just get lost in the Lord and say, Lord, if it's true of you, Lord, I have never believed in this truth uh, about my relationship with you in a way that I see that I, I should and I pray for a miracle of your Holy Spirit to occur within my life, that this comes to characterize my Christian life because you sent your Son, among other things, to die on that cross and to be buried and rise again on the third day so that I would have this kind of confidence and boldness and encouragement in my Christian life. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in our lives as Paige and the worship team lead us in this worship song. Never fails, never gives up, never